0: Well, let's go to 1 Kings, chapter 18 tonight. 1 Kings, chapter 18. We'll look at a large part of this chapter tonight in the message. As we come to this chapter, the nation of Israel is in trouble. Uh, They're a mess. Uh, They are under a tremendous judgment of God. It is in the form of a famine. It has not rained in Israel for three and a half years. Now, we live in the desert here in Phoenix, and we understand what it is to go a long period of time without rain. But imagine three and a half years without a drop of water, three and a half years without even dew upon the ground, just absolutely no moisture at all for three and a half years. As a result, they're about to lose all the animals. All the cattle, all the beasts, everything that they own in the way of livestock is about to perish because there's no water. Now, all of this is a result of poor leadership. The king of Israel at this time is a man by the name of Ahab. His wife's name was Jezebel. Pretty common names. Uh, Names that have gone down in history in somewhat of uh, uh, disgrace, I would say. In fact, I've never met, I've all over this world, I've never met anybody named Ahab. I met a uh, a horse named Ahab one time, but I've never met a person named Ahab. I've never met a woman named Jezebel. I'm sure someone has named their daughter Jezebel, but I've never met anybody by that name. Uh, In fact, if you get a baby name book, if you get one of those books that gives all the meanings of names, you won't find Ahab or Jezebel in that book. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 7, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. And the names Ahab and Jezebel literally rot on the pages of history because these were wicked, wicked people. I could say a lot about them, and you could do some research as well in the Scriptures concerning their lives, but God summed it up in verse 25 of 1 Kings 21 when He said there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. So God said, of all the people that lived, there was nobody any more wicked than Ahab. And the catalyst behind this wickedness was his wife Jezebel. So these were wicked, wicked people. And as a result of their wickedness, there has been this famine upon the land. Now as the chapter opens, Ahab calls Obadiah, Another interesting character in the Bible says in verse 3, he feared the Lord greatly. In verse 12, it says he feared the Lord from his youth. So apparently this man, Obadiah, had been raised in a structure that taught him about God, maybe his home, maybe the synagogue, but he, he understood God, he understood God's Word, he feared the Lord greatly. But in the midst of this time, this crisis, Obadiah is the governor of Ahab's house. He's second in command. You know, sometimes crisis reveals what we really are on the inside. And so here's Obadiah, this guy who's second in command, and Ahab says to him, we got to find some water. So they divided the land between them, and Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself in search for water, to try to save the the cattle and the beasts from dying. Well, as Obadiah was in the way, the Bible tells us here in this chapter that Elijah met him. Now, Obadiah is not sure what he's saying because Ahab had taken an oath. He had stood up in front of the people and promised them that Elijah was dead. This, This prophet, this weird, eccentric, hairy man that preached the judgment of God Uh, They had had decided he had died. They haven't seen him for three and a half years. Now, you can go back in the scripture and figure out where Elijah was. For the first part of that famine, Elijah's up at the brook Cherith. And uh, God is feeding him twice a day with the ravens. Remember the ravens? The birds bring him his food. And he drinks the water out of the brook. And then when the brook dried up, God sent him down to the, the widow's house. And God sustained both her and Elijah and her son for the duration of that famine. So we know where Elijah was, but now all of a sudden he's standing there in the path of Obadiah, and Obadiah's not sure if he's seeing a ghost or what he's seeing. And he, he falls down in front of him and he says, Art thou that my lord Elijah? And Elijah said, Yeah, yeah, it's me. And I'm here to see your boss. Tell Ahab, I'm here to see him. And and Obadiah says, I, 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 I can't do that. If I go tell Ahab, you're alive, uh, he's going to want to see you. And by the time I get him out here to find you, the Spirit of God's going to take you with her. I know not. And when he can't find you, he's going to kill me. Whenever you live a double life, you're always afraid you're going to get caught. And Obadiah just got caught. So Elijah says, fine, I'll go see him myself. So by the time we get to about verse uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, we find Elijah walking into the Oval Office. And he puts his finger in the face of Ahab, and he says, you're the problem. You have rejected God. You have forsaken His Word. And this famine, this judgment is a result of you. And Ahab says, no, I'm not the problem. You are and Elijah says no you are. And Ahab says no you are. <laughs> and and back and forth they go. And after a while of of blame shifting Elijah says tell you what. Let's have a contest. Let's go up to the top of Mount Carmel. Now Mount Carmel was a place of, of where where people would go and sacrifice to their gods. Not just the Israelites but but a number of different religious groups would go up there and they would build altars and they would sacrifice to their gods. So it was kind of a a neutral site, if you please, religiously. So Elijah says, "Let's, let's, let's not have a home and away team here. Let's pick a neutral site, kind of like the national championship that you're missing tonight. It's in Indianapolis, right? It's a neutral site, right? So he says, let's go up to Carmel and you bring your false prophets, your prophets of Baal. You bring them up there and I'll come up there and we will build two altars. And we'll put some wood on the altar. We'll put a bullock on the altar, each one, and then we'll but we'll put no fire under. And, and then we'll pray. We'll take turns praying. And, and, and whoever's God answers by fire and devours the sacrifice will be declared the winner, will be declared the true God. Well, apparently Ahab has a little competitive spirit in him. He says, You've got to deal. So now this Super Bowl of Gods has been scheduled on the top of Mount Carmel. They're going to have this contest between these two sides. And I can can sort of picture this. I mean, the day finally arrives, word has gotten out, there's going to be this contest, and I can kind of picture this, and I can see these, these false prophets. There's 450 prophets of Baal. There's 400 prophets of the groves, So there's 850 false prophets, and they're all going up there. And I can see them. They're probably walking with their their head in the air. I mean, they got their nose in the air. They know they're going to win. I mean, they're the majority. They've got got God's side way outnumbered. And so they're pretty confident. They're walking pretty pretty, uh, confidently up this mountain to the top of Carmel. And, of course, Ahab and Jezebel, they're probably being carried by their entourage of servants up there and all the glitz and the glamour of the kingdom surrounding them. and They're being carried up there. And then, of course, the people. The people had heard about it, and so they're making their way up there to watch this spectacle. And then there's Elijah. And I picture this guy. You know, the Bible says he was a hairy man. The Bible says he was a little bit odd. And I, I can, I can kind of picture Elijah walking by himself. I don't think he's mixing with any of these others. I think he's, he's walking alone. Probably if you saw him, you'd probably think he's, he's focused on God or he's maybe even praying. We're not sure, but, but I kind of see him just kind of walking with purpose up to the top of Carmel. Now they get up there, and uh, Elijah says, uh, there's more of you, so you guys go first. So the false prophets, the prophets of Baal, they, they built an altar, and they put wood on it. And they took a bullock, and they chopped it into four pieces, and they laid it on the wood, and they began to pray. And they began to pray to Baal, that this Baal god would send fire and devour their sacrifice. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, but nothing happened. Because Baal is a little g-god, He has eyes, but he can't see. He has ears, but he can't hear. He's a stone god. So they prayed. They prayed for seven hours. You ever prayed for seven hours? They prayed for seven hours, and nothing happened. They got so desperate, they took knives and lancets and began to cut themselves, and the Bible in this chapter says the blood gushed out on the altar. I mean, imagine this scene. By the way, cutting is not new. So, so this blood is gushing out from these guys. They're praying. They're desperation. And, of course, Elijah's over here mocking them. He's saying, uh, uh, pray a little louder. Maybe your God is asleep. You need to wake him up. Uh, maybe he's on a journey. Give him time. He'll be back. You know? I mean, they're, 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 he's mocking them. And finally, around the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says, all right, it's my turn. You guys have had your chance. Now it's my turn. Now what do you do when it's your turn? What do you do when you need a miracle? You need a prayer answered. What do you do? By the way, it's our turn. This is our day. Others have had their turn serving God. This is our turn. We have the ball. We're inside the twenty-yard line. The clock's ticking. We're in the red zone. We need to score. What do we do? Well, let's see what Elijah did. Let's pick up the story in verse twenty-nine. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the evening offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The first step that Elijah takes when it's his turn is he fixes the broken. He repairs the altar of the Lord. Now, as I said, Carmel was a place where sacrifices were made over the years to various gods. And Israel, the nation of Israel, they would go up there. They would build altars. They would sacrifice to the God of heaven. But nobody's been up there now for three and a half years, at least from Israel's side. And so the altar that had been used in the past was all broken down. Perhaps the stones had crumbled or whatever. So the first thing that Elijah does is he repairs the altar of the Lord. He fixes The broken. Can I say tonight, revival fire will never fall on a broken altar. So we have to ask ourselves, those of us who want revival, is anything broken in my life? Is there anything broken in my relationship with God? How is my relationship with the Lord? Am I right with Him? Is it well with my soul? Is my sin confessed? Am I on speaking terms with him? Did I talk to him today? Did I allow him to speak to me? Uh, How's my witness? How's our vertical relationship? Is anything broken? How's our horizontal relationships? How is it with me and my spouse? How is it with me and my children, or me and my parents? How are my horizontal relationships? Is anything broken in my life? By the way, aren't you glad when things get broken in our lives? And by the way, they do. We're not perfect. We still sin. We still mess up. We still fail. But aren't you glad that when things get broken in your life, God is in the repair business? Aren't you glad that His shop is always open? And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad when the, when the vessel fell off the potter's wheel, he was willing to pick it up and make it again, as it seemed good to the potter. Tonight, if things are not right in our lives, if things are broken in our life, thank God. He he is a God that delighteth in mercy, according to Micah 7, verse 18. Now, that's an amazing statement. God delights in mercy. I don't delight in mercy. You do me wrong, I want to do you wrong, right? I want to get revenge. I want to get even, but not God. God delights in forgiveness. He delights in, in mercy. He delights in you coming and confessing sin and getting right with the Lord. You see, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use. My wife and I, we've, we've been married uh, 47 and a half years, and, and over those years, we've, we've had some pets. Currently, we do not have a pet. Um, <laughs> our lives are a little too complex for that right now, but... We've had some pets over the years. We've had dogs, cats. We had a fish. We had a, the first pet we ever had when we first got married, we had a gerbil. I'm not sure that's a pet. It's just kind of, a, it's, it's kind of a nice name for a rat, really, what it is. But we had a gerbil. He didn't last long, but we had him for a while. We've had some pets. Now, I suppose over the years, we've, we've probably had six or seven dogs. I'd have to think back and count them up maybe, but we've had six or seven dogs, and I love dogs. I, I'd love to have a dog now. They're, they're you know, they're man's best friend. They're, they're, they're a blessing. So we've had some dogs. But you know, in all those years that we had a dog, I was never once ever tempted, not even a little bit, I was never tempted to drink out of the dog dish. Now, where I live, as where you live, it gets hot. And in the summertime, you know, when it's triple digits and I'd be out in the yard working or playing with the kids or whatever, and I'd come in the house and I'd be thirsty. And I'd walk in the kitchen and right there next to the kitchen counter was the dog dish. It was a nice dog dish, kind of a powder blue, kind of a North Carolina blue color. Had two compartments, one for food, one for water. I mean, it was a nice dog dish. We probably paid, I bet we paid $2.95 for that thing at Kmart. I mean, it was a nice dog dish. And it always had water in there. And the easiest thing to do in, in thirst would be to just drop to my knees and lap water out of the dog dish. But I, I was never even tempted. No, I walked way past the dog dish. I mean two or three more steps, all the way to the kitchen cabinet. I opened it up. I took out a glass. I closed the cabinet. I walked back past the dog dish to the refrigerator. Got some ice cubes. Got some water. Quenched my thirst. Why? Because a dog dish is a vessel, but it's a vessel of dishonor. And let me say it kindly. When God gets ready to send revival, He's not going to use dog dish Christians. He's not going to use a dirty vessel. So the first thing Elijah does, the first thing we need to do is to fix the broken. But Notice secondly, he fills the barrels. Now follow the story here in verse number 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. Now, does this seem a little strange? The contest is to see whose God can bring fire down and devour the sacrifice. Now, I'm not an outdoorsman. I I I, I don't I don't like to go camping. I, I I I lived in a trailer for 16 years of our ministry, and that was good good enough for me. But I I, I don't like to go live in a tent or live out under the stars or eat. Uh, you know, cacti for for my water or whatever. I'm not an outdoors kind of a person, but I know this. If you're out in the woods or you're out camping and you're trying to start a fire, the last thing you want is wet wood. So here's Elijah. He's the one that designed this whole contest. He's the one that came up with the idea. And he's got the altar built. He's got the wood on it. He's got the bullock chopped up and ready to go. And then he does this strange thing. He says, fill, 12, uh, fill, fill four barrels of water. And, and they did it. And he said, do it a second time. So they fill four more barrels of water, pour it on a second time. He said, do it a third time. They Do it a third time. Pour it on there. And now this, this wood, the sacrifice, I mean, everything is just saturated with water. Water's dripping into the trench around it. I mean, it, it is just saturated with water. By the way, Have you ever wondered where they got the water? It hasn't rained for three and a half years. At the beginning of the chapter, they don't have water to to save the beasts and the cattle. There's no water. So, where'd they get the water for these 12 barrels? Well, the Bible doesn't say, sorry, (laughs) it's kind of like vacation Bible school. Come back tomorrow, boys and girls. We will find out what happens to the missionaries as the cannibals approach their camp. Oh, tomorrow's Saturday. Sorry. (laughs) See you next year. You know, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us and, and it would be wrong for us to assume something outside the Bible, but the water came from somewhere. Now, some might say, well, the Mediterranean Sea. But I've been to Mount Carmel. That's a long walk. That's a very long walk. And it's already the time of the evening sacrifice. You would not have time to walk from the top of Mount Carmel to the Mediterranean and back before sunset. And this story moves very quickly. But but notice, Elijah didn't say fill 12 barrels of water. He said fill four. When they poured it on, he said, fill them again. And they poured it on, he said, do it a third time. So there wasn't time to go to the Mediterranean once, much less three times. So where did they get this water? Well, now, I don't know. So, so what I'm going to tell you right now is my, my conjecture, but I think it's based on a biblical truth in this passage. You would not have made that trip to the top of Mount Carmel without some drinking water as scarce as the water would have been, they would have had to have taken some drinking water to make that journey. You you wouldn't go up to to the top of Mount Carmel today in a four-wheeler without water. It's desert climate. It's it's much like it is here. So they had to have taken some small containers, canteens, water bottles, whatever you would call it in those days, of, of water. So when Elijah says, fill four barrels with water, who's he giving that command to? Well, he's he's not commanding the false prophets to do it. They're over there licking their wounds. He's not asking Ahab and Jezebel to do it. So the appeal has to be made to the crowd that's assembled, right? He'd he'd have to be talking to them. He doesn't have any servants. He's all by himself. So, So he had to be talking to everybody out here saying, fill four barrels with water. Remember, and we'll see it in a minute, verse 21, Elijah came to those people that were there to watch, and he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him, and if Baal, then follow him. Before this all started, Elijah said, hey, we don't need spectators up here. We need participants. If you believe in the God of heaven, come over here and stand on my side. If you believe in Baal, then go over here and stand on this side. And the Bible says there in verse 21, the people answered him, not a word. In other words, they were undecided. We're going to wait and see who wins first. When I, found out, when I find out later who won the game tonight, that, that's who I was for, right? Okay, that, that's what they were saying. So now he's saying to those same people who couldn't make up their mind a minute ago, fill four barrels of water. What he's saying to them is this. You take what you can see, your water, your personal drinking water, and give it to a God whom you cannot see And by faith, watch what God will do. By the way, water's not going to be a problem on the way home. We won't get that far tonight. But you read the rest of this chapter, it's going to rain like it had never rained before. There's a gully washer on the way. So water's not going to be the problem. What does God promise? Give, and it shall be given unto you. So Elijah's instructing these people to give their precious commodity of water that's very, very scarce, very, very important to them to get home. But he's saying, by faith, I want you to fill these barrels and pour it on the sacrifice. And so they did it. But Elijah said, "Um, some of you still have water. Pass those offering barrels again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so they passed him again, and they filled four more. And then he said, look, with God, it's all or nothing. You, you, you can't have faith in God and faith in yourself, so let's fill them one more time. And they filled them a third time. Can I encourage us tonight to fill some barrels by faith? Can I encourage you to pray some prayers that only God can answer? Sometimes I think we pray prayers, and if God doesn't answer, we got a plan B in our back pocket. Pray some prayers only God can answer. This was a prayer only God could answer. And by the way, let me encourage you to do this. Pray some prayers that only you are praying. Now, it's wonderful to have corporate prayer in the church. It's wonderful when we come together, and we have a prayer meeting, and we make some requests, and everybody prays together. But you know what? When God answers the prayer, we don't know whose prayer he answered. Right? I mean, maybe he answered pastors. Maybe he answered pastor's dad. Maybe he answered Johnny. Maybe I mean, we don't know. We all prayed, so we don't know who he answered. But when you pray a prayer that only you know about and God answers, it'll change your Christian life because God heard you. God answered you. And when we step out by faith, remember, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And these people take this huge step of faith here to give their water by faith, believing God can provide. So he fixes the broken. He fills the barrels. But then notice thirdly, he focuses beyond. Now let's just go back for a minute because I want to build a case here for this point. But go back to verse um, 17. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. So, in the office of Ahab, Elijah and Ahab are going back and forth on this. And Elijah, you can kind of sense from those words that he is focused on the message he is bringing to Ahab. He is focused on this wicked king. Now drop down to verse 21. I just quoted it. Elijah came and all the people We're at top of Mount Carmel now and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Here he's focused on the people. He's trying to encourage them to make a decision. So his mindset is on the audience here, the people. Drop down to verse uh, 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. And said, cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's talking or he's pursuing or he's on a journey or a preventory sleepeth. that must be awaked. In other words, now, in in this moment, he's focused on these false prophets. He's given them the raspberries. He's given them a hard time because their God isn't answering. And so he's focused on preaching to them. But now, now, pick up the story back where we left off, verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that Thou art God in Israel, and that I am Thy servant, and that I have done all these things at Thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Right now, He's not focused on Ahab, He's not focused on the false prophets, He's not focused on the crowd. All eyes are on him. Ehab and Jezebel are probably glaring a hole through him. The false prophets are really upset over here, and the people stand in doubt. But Elijah's not focused on any of that. He is now saying, Lord, hear me. He's focusing beyond. The temptation in our life is to look at all the circumstances around us rather than to lift our eyes above the circumstances and get focused on God. It's easy to see the condition of the world. It's easy to see the condition of Christianity. It's easy to see what somebody else is doing or not doing. But as God's people, if we want revival, we've got to get with God. We've got to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. So Elijah is focusing beyond the peripheral. He's focusing beyond the circumstances, beyond the the day in which he's living. He's now focused on the eternal. And we must do the same. And when you do, notice what happens. The Bible says in verse number 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Whoa. I I hope there's some video in heaven of these miracles. I I don't know if there will be, but you know, you go to a a museum. Sometimes they are like a sports uh, a place, a hall of fame, or something. And you can go in these rooms and watch videotape of things in their past of these players or whatever. I hope we get to heaven. There's a there's a John the Baptist room. You know, you can just go in there and watch video of John the Baptist ministry. There's an Elijah room. We can watch these miracles of Elijah. Wouldn't this be something? I mean, Elijah prays, and I don't know if anybody was peeking during the prayer. But And I don't know if Elijah said, bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray, dear Lord. I don't, I don't know. But when they looked up, there was nothing there. I mean, there used to be stones, there used to be wood, there used to be a sacrifice, there used to be water, but after Elijah prays, there's nothing there. It burned up the sacrifice. This fire burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. I've seen some powerful fires. I've never seen fire burn a rock. This one did. It licks up the water in the trench. It licks up the dust. There's nothing there. And the response at that moment by the people was the Lord. He's the God. The Lord. He's the God. Wouldn't you love for America to say that tonight? Wouldn't it be some if you went home tonight and you thought, "Well, yeah, I think that game's probably still on. I think I'll catch the last quarter," and you, you turn on ESPN and the game's not there. Instead, they're President Biden and his wife Jill. You're like, "What's, what's, what's Biden doing on ESPN?" <laughs> Get off my screen! <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you, you go over to maybe 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 it's on Fox. You go over to Fox and President Biden. And you're thinking, what in the world? Uh, Check the Food Network. And they go to the Food Network, there's President Biden. Oh Man, what's going on? What happened while I was at church? And President Biden is saying, um, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for interrupting your regularly scheduled program. I know there's a very important game on tonight. But Jill and I were returning to Washington today from the weekend. And as we got off Air Force uh, helicopter, the— one of the security there handed me a, a gospel tract. And you know, Jill and I went in the West Wing there and we sat down and we read that and we realized we're sinners. And we asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And we wanted to just come on television tonight and tell the whole world that the Lord Jesus Christ, He's God. You say, Brother Geshe, I, I don't think that's going to happen. It happened here. And this was the most wicked empire, according to God, there ever was. It happened twice in the book of Daniel. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They wouldn't bow down. They heated up the furnace seven times hotter than had ever been heated. They threw them in there. The guys that threw them in were burned to a crisp. And the king looked in that fire and he said, Did not we throw three in there? I see four. And that fourth one looks like the Son of God. And they brought them out, and their, their, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And the king said, whoever their God is, is now our God. Daniel chapter 6, a petition was, was signed that you couldn't ask a petition of God for any man for 30 days, God or man for 30 days. So if I said right now, uh, you know, I'm struggling with my voice, could somebody bring me a drink of water? If I did that, I'd go to a lion's den. You couldn't ask a petition of God or man for 30 days. Well, verse 6 of Daniel 10 says, Daniel, knowing the writing was signed, went into his house, his windows in his chamber being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled down on his knees, prayed, gave thanks to his God, as he did a four time, three times a day. Well, they caught him. I mean, his windows were open. So they throw him in the den of lions. But Daniel slept well that night. And he slept like a kitten. Now, the king, he couldn't sleep. He just could not sleep. He couldn't find the right number on his apostrophe to bed. He just couldn't do it. And finally, when the sun broke, he went down to that lion's and He said, Daniel, are you okay? Are you okay? And Daniel's like, yeah, king's kind of early. What's up? Come out of there, Daniel. They bring Daniel out. And the king commanded the men who had thrown him in there, To be thrown in, and by the time they hit the, they never hit the bottom. The lions crushed them before they even hit the hit the floor, and devoured them. And the king said, "The God of Daniel is now our God." Listen, this has happened before. In Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-six, by faith they subdued kingdoms. Subdued kingdoms. I got a few kingdoms I'd like to subdue. How about you? (laughs) Right? The Lord, He's the God. So he fixes the broken, he he fills the barrels, he he focuses beyond, and then he follows boldly. Now a lot of times we end the story right there, but look at verse 40. And Elijah said unto them, again I think he's talking to the people, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Whoa. When this was all over, Elijah says, take those false prophets, the prophets of Baal, down to Kishon. Line them up. They lined them up along that brook. And Elijah, Elijah goes down there. He goes to the first man in the line. He takes out his sword and cuts him in half. Second guy cuts, in half. guy cuts him in half. Third guy cuts him in half. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd been standing that line, he's coming our way. Let's stop him. There were 450 of them. There's only one of him. Why didn't they stop him? They didn't dare. They had just seen his God bring down fire that consumed rocks. You don't mess with that guy. And Ladies and gentlemen, when we fix the broken, when we fill some barrels by faith, when we focus beyond all this stuff going around us and we begin to follow God boldly, he will give us the courage to stand. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Elijah follows boldly. What a man. Now, I love 1 Kings 18. It's my favorite favorite chapter in the Bible. I've probably preached more different sermons out of this chapter than any other chapter in the Bible. I hate chapter 19. I wish it wasn't in the Bible. But God's a just God. And so, read verse 1, chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. This man of amazing faith, amazing courage, amazing power with God gets a threat, and he runs. And he ends up in a cave, and God's waiting for him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, well, God, I've been very jealous for you. I've done everything according to your word. But um, I'm the only one left now. Uh, everybody's bowed to bail. Everybody's, everybody's caved. I'm the only one left, and now they seek my life. So I'm ready to check out. Just Kill me. And you know, God hears those prayers too. God said, okay, Elijah, I'll get you out, but I'm not going to kill you. I love you. I'll send a whirlwind to get you. But but Elijah, before I send the whirlwind to to get you and bring you to heaven, I I, I need you to do a couple things. First, I need you to go down and find a man named Hazael. He's one of my men. He has not bowed to Baal. He's faithful to me. I want you to find him, and I want you to anoint him as the next king of Syria. Then, you get that done, I want you to find Jehu. Now, you'll have to move fast. He, he drives furiously. But Find Jehu, anoint him. I want him to be the next king of Israel. He's one of my men. He's not bowed to Baal. Then when you finish that, Elijah, I need you to find Elisha. Kind of different from your name just a little bit, but he's, he's one of my men. He, he, he's not bowed to Baal. He's faithful to me. I want you to find him. He'll probably be plowing out in the field someplace, but find him and anoint him as the next prophet in your room. He's going to take your place. And by the way, he's going to do twice as many miracles as you ever thought about doing. And Elijah, if any of those three guys tell you no, then just check back with me because i got 7,000 others that have not bowed to me. Now, you know what's amazing about that? Elijah didn't know any of these guys. He said, I'm the only one left. And yet there were 7,003 that had not bowed to Baal. And Elijah couldn't see him. You know why? Because when we're focused on self, you can be sitting right in the middle of a miracle and not even see it. When your eyes are inward, when you're looking only at you, you're going to miss what God's doing. Can I tell you, God's doing things all over this world right now, and we in America are missing it. They say 25,000 people a day are being saved in the underground churches in China. I've preached in those churches. It's amazing. I've had government officials come up after preaching and saying, Brother Gedge, pray for me. I need to be saved. I want to be saved, but I'll lose my job and perhaps my life. But they're getting saved. One day in Chengdu, China, missionary and I, we got on bikes, we rode all through that city of three million people, went from cafe to cafe to cafe to cafe to cafe, took out an iPad, sat down with a new Christian, discipled him from cafe cafe to cafe to cafe so that no one would know where the church was. It's amazing. I think, I think we're going to get to heaven and, and, and realize that God did some of the most amazing things in ministry during the pandemic, and some of us missed it because we were focused on me. So tonight, follow boldly. These are great days to serve Jesus Christ. These could be the greatest days since the book of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, they went to prison a, while, a time or two. But some great things happened in prison. Some churches were started as a result of those prison trips. I'm just saying, if there's something broken, let's fix it. If our faith has waned and become weak, let's fill some barrels tonight. Step out in your prayer life. Take another step of faith. See what God will do. Focus beyond. Get your eyes off all the news and all that stuff around us. Get them back on Christ. Christ. And then let's follow Him boldly wherever that path leads us because He'll never leave us or forsake us.